Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we're actually in person together in the same room today, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, for the first time in over a year. Well, we did the citizenship, but that was, I don't know, scattered. (laughs) That was a big day. It was. Following up on that, I should ask, do you feel different now? Not really. (laughs) I guess when I stop and think about it, yes. But, you know, not really. But that's me, I think. I've learned about myself that it takes a long time for me for things to sink in. Your departure, the fact that I was having a baby, becoming Italian, all of it didn't really sink in until not even only after, but even beyond after. Yeah. It's been a big year for you. It has. (laughs) So we are here in Rome, in Tiffany's apartment, and I have just moved in up the street as of today. Our same street, same apartment building, so we are now exactly as far away from each other as we were a little over a year ago, which is pretty exciting. It's so cool that you were able to get that same place back. But we only have two weeks, so we're going to... I've got a whole list of different show topics I want to do, but the first and foremost, most important topic, the one that people are wondering about is... The fact that you actually did have the long-awaited baby. Yeah, he's right here in my arms right now. Now, you did a small introduction of him when we were at the um, citizenship office, but tell us a little bit more about him. Who is this guy? Well, his name's Aurelio, which is the name I wanted. Really, it was one of my number one, maybe my number one name. And uh, my husband was against it for the whole time. And I said, I know deep down he likes it. I knew that he liked it deep down because he was the one who, who, who suggested it to me years ago long before we were considering having a baby and so I knew deep down he liked it and uh, in the end once he'd seen all my suffering uh, he uh, he gave me the the name choice I guess as a gift but yeah so he's called Aurelio and he's got red hair and he's got blue eyes for now hopefully they'll stay blue but you never know if they will actually you never know about the hair either his hair could change but I'm hoping it'll stay red because he's got red eyebrows so I'm thinking it will stay red and he was pretty big baby, not huge, but above average, and quite tall. And uh, what can I say? We're just still getting to know each other. Yeah. How, how many weeks has it been? It's been five and a half weeks. I love the story about how the name actually got chosen, finally in the end, mm-hmm. which I've already heard, but let's share it with the others, shall we? Well, I was basically in the transition phase of labor, I believe my brain is a little bit fuzzy on it. It all seemed to happen so fast, even though it wasn't a super fast labor, but all of the events sort of got jumbled together. But I definitely was either pushing already or about to push. The midwife said, okay, what's this baby's name? Which I wasn't expecting at all. I knew that we had to name him the day he was born. Not like in the States where you can kind of, you have a little bit of a, of a grace period. I knew that here they want to fill out the birth certificate the same day. But I thought we would at least be able to see him first. So I was kind of waiting to see him. But no. You know, I have to interject for one second. Doesn't it seem weird that that would be a thing that they would be talking to you about right when you're about to push? Yes. But I think, (laughs) now I don't know how parents-to-be in the States do it because obviously almost all the parents-to-be that I've been talking with lately are, are all here. But it seems like every single one knows their child's name in advance. 
the fact that even our doctor was like, what's his name? You know, I was probably about seven months along. And he said, what, you know, what, what are you going to call him? And I was like, I haven't, we have no idea. We haven't decided yet. He's like, well, you've got to decide. Everyone has acted like that. Everyone that we tell is, was always so shocked that we didn't have the name picked out. Some people even accused us of just not telling, you know, wanting to keep it a secret. But we actually hadn't decided. Maybe it's normal to them because they know that they have to decide. I think the reason is because the person who delivers the baby, whether it's a midwife or a doctor, has to sign a certificate that then you take that certificate to the government office, which are, I don't know which office it is, but a government office that will issue you the birth certificate. And so the midwife or doctor, it's a responsibility on them that they're declaring that this child is your child. The person who actually took that baby out of you is swearing that that is your baby. That must be the reason. And before she can go off duty, you know, or go on to her next patient, she has to have that paper signed and done. So maybe it's more a practical thing than anything else. But uh, she had asked me, actually, I think it was the earlier, I had two midwives because there was a shift change. The first one asked what he was going to be called. And I said, I really don't know. And so, you know, this one asked very late in the game. And uh, for those of you who've given birth, you know that that's a pretty difficult moment, that transition period or in the pushing. I couldn't, there was no rational thoughts going through your head at that point. You're just sort of in animal instinct mode. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And my husband, who of course knew Aurelio was my number one choice, just looked at her and said, his name is Aurelio. And I looked at him and I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? And he's like, yes. See, I mean, I had, a, I'm not going to say I had a more painful labor than, than most women. I'm sure that it, mine was probably about average, but definitely he was witnessing a lot of pain. He had never obviously seen anyone in labor before. And so I think that that was really what struck him, how much I was suffering and not just suffering, but how much work I was doing and how, you know, it takes a lot of effort to have a baby. And so I think that was why he went with that. And then for his middle name, we gave him my dad's, my dad's name for his middle name, Samuel. Do you know what Claudio's number one choice going into the labor was? You know, it's hard to say what his number one choice was because he definitely had several names that he, that came up over the nine months, but most of them were just... I just really, really didn't like. Not that I don't like them as names, but just not the name of my kid. And so I dismissed them all sort of out of hand. The only two names that we both liked were Samuel, my dad's name, and the name Henry, which I'm not a huge fan of Henry, but I think it's cute. He quite liked Henry, and I have two great-grandfathers named Henry. And so it would have kind of made sense. But I don't think either one of us loved either of those names. He would have definitely been happy with Samuel. But for me, I mean, I have a nephew named Samuel, my dad. There's a lot of Samuels in my family. Just as a first name, it just didn't feel right. But I know he liked Joshua and Joel a lot. That will be baby number two. <laughs> no, no baby number two. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, I can't promise. But I definitely, while I was giving birth, said, this is it. I'm only having one baby. Forget it. Yeah. Which is what we had kind of thought anyway, going into it. All right, so let's actually talk about that night. What happened? When did it all begin? It started actually the night before, at two in the morning, and I started to get contractions. And I was five, five days late at that time. I think it's universal that anytime a woman goes over her due date, she basically will try to do anything to get that baby out. And for me, I had two reasons. One, because my, I knew my husband was going back to work quite quickly. And two, because I was terrified of having induced labor. 
because it's supposedly much more painful and I really wanted to do it naturally without any drugs and I didn't know if I would be capable of doing that with the uh, drug that they give you to induce labor. So for those two reasons, I was doing anything I could think of. I was bouncing on the bouncing ball. I was climbing up and downstairs. I was taking evening primrose oil. I was drinking red raspberry leaf tea. I was eating pineapple. Like, I mean, all of those typical traditional things. I was even giving acupressure to myself. Looked at the pressure points, rubbing my ankles, pushing my thumb into my ankle, trying to do anything. And every time I went to the doctor to have a check, they're always like, no, you're not dilated. The baby hasn't dropped and it was so disappointing and I thought, oh, I'm never going to have this baby on my own. And finally, one morning I woke up with contractions, but they were very sporadic and they were not very strong. But later in the day, in the evening of that day, they started to get stronger and stronger. But I just was so convinced it was false labor because I thought, well, no, I can't be in labor yet because I had, I had a check that day. And they said, no, you're still not dilated. I thought, well, okay, this has got to be false labor. And I was at my in-laws because... We know. Yeah, <laughs> you know why I was there. But uh, also the still too hot. The hospital was also very close to my in-laws. So we thought, you know, let's stay over there tonight because just in case. And I was with my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law. It was very late. My husband had gone to bed. It was probably 1 a.m. And the contractions were getting stronger and stronger. And they're like, I think you're in labor. I'm like, no, it's got to be false labor. But it was... I think they say when you can't talk through a contraction, that's a real contraction. It's not a false one or a practiced one. And so we started counting the time between contractions. And I was, at, meanwhile, texting my sisters because I have a little WhatsApp group with my sisters. I've got five sisters and they're all older than me and they're all moms. I'm writing. I'm like, should I go in? I, you know, the doctor said this, but I'm having contractions at the time. And they're all like, go in, go in, go in. Finally, at 2 a.m., the contractions were three minutes apart. So I woke up my husband. I was like, we got to go to the hospital. And they, what was his reaction? He was very calm about it. He's the type of person who gets very stressed out very easily. And, and he's a big worrywart. But when it's a difficult situation or a serious situation, he's really calm under pressure. I remember his uh, relatives telling me the day that, you know, of our wedding, how, how calm he was the whole morning when I was freaking out, getting ready, and he was totally calm. We went to the hospital. They admitted me right away, introduced me to my midwife. And I remember saying to, in Italy, I don't know how, again, I don't know how it works in the States, but in, in Italy, if you're in labor, you go to the emergency room and they decide there, they check you and they put you up on the monitor and stuff. And they decide if you're actually in labor and if you can be admitted. So while I was in the emergency room... Wait, let me ask you another question. Yeah. Just since I got to go to the emergency room <clears throat> here in Italy, mm -hmm. when you're possibly in labor, do they jump you to the front of the line or do you have to sit in that really awkward, small little rooms with the sliding glass doors that are, you well, know, have no bells, no fish tanks, no bells and whistles? <laughs> the truth is I don't know because I, when I went, there was nobody there kind of helps a, to go at two in the morning yeah it helps to go at 2 a.m plus it's a plus it was august a lot of people are out of town it's a small hospital the main thing that they do is deliver babies so actually there was no there was no wait at all there was a nurse there she was an er nurse not a midwife or anything i was having my the monitoring the, they checked the contractions and all of that and the contractions were pretty painful they weren't terrible but they were painful enough to you know like have to focus and breathe through them and all of that stuff. What did it feel like? You know, I'm already starting to forget. Early contractions feel like really, really, really bad intestinal cramps, I would say. 
or maybe menstrual cramps, but really, really, really bad. Um, but that's the, the mild contraction. The, the real contractions feel like you're being ripped apart from the inside. <laughs> Would you say, hearkening back to our home birth episode that we did way back in the day, and our guest Cassie said that contractions were not as bad as a corneal scratch. Would you say that you agree with that statement today? I've never had a corneal scratch, but if that's true, God, I hope I never have one. <laughs> because contractions, the, the late contractions are incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. Still not as painful as all the stuff I went through after the birth, which let's not even go there. But it, they're painful. Yeah, they're pretty painful. Anyway, I said to the nurse, so naively, I said, is it going to get a lot worse than this? Are the contractions going to get a lot worse than this? Or is this pretty much, because, you know, they have the little traject, they have got their little like up and down on the, you know, you can see it on the paper, they go up and down. And she said, well, you know, these contractions are pretty strong already. So, you know, I wouldn't say they're, they're going to be that much worse than this. Fantastic. <laughs> I get to the labor room and I meet my midwife and I ask her the same question. And she's like, oh, they're going to get a lot worse. <laughs> she obviously had more experience. And they definitely got a lot worse. She said, you know, you, you got to like use a vowel like, ah, you know, that'll help you keep breathing. I was able to do that for the first couple of hours. But when you get towards the end, I mean, I don't know, maybe. Some, and I don't, I don't know how some women do it without screaming at all, you know. Because I, you were not one of those women? No, I felt like. Have you ever seen The Exorcist? I felt like my body wasn't my own. I can't, I can't even, I can't describe it. I was just shrieking is the only word I can think of. I wasn't screaming, but definitely shrieking. And it was like, I felt like I couldn't control the sounds coming out of my mouth. But uh, I will say that I did use some hypnobirthing techniques. I don't know if any of you out there have heard of hypnobirthing. I didn't take a course, which I wish I had. I just read the book and I, and I did practice some breathing and I did some deep relaxation practice meditation stuff. I definitely had a painful birth. You know, they say like you can have pain-free birth. It's possible. I don't doubt it. I'm sure that some women can have that, but not me. If anyone's had that, I would like to talk to you. Yes, about. yes call in <laughs> uh, or write in, I should say. We don't have a phone. <laughs> um, but... Um, but I will say that the breathing techniques did help. They did help. I can't deny that I'm proud that I, I managed to do it without drugs. And I did break down at the very end. It was a transition period. It's the most painful moment. And I knew I had read in the book, when you think you can't do it anymore, that's when it's almost over and you're about to start pushing. I think I was in that moment. And I said to, my, I said to Claudio, I, give me an epidural. I can't do this anymore. I can't. I had coached him earlier. I said, if I do, if I ask you, you have to say, you can do it. You can do it. And he did. He was, he was amazing. He was, I could not have gotten through it without him. I mean, not without drugs anyway. I listened to him and I think actually it was too late. There's a point of no return where you can't get it. So I think I was past it anyway, mm -hmm. but I didn't ask. I didn't officially ask. I asked him, but I didn't go as far as to ask the doctor, or the, the midwife. So I'm not trying to act like I'm so strong because I did it but I do have a little bit of pride well yeah it was something you set out to do and you you made it happen yeah it was it was definitely more painful than I imagined though <laughs> and Claudio uh you said he was a good coach but was he I mean maybe you don't even know because you were so inside your body but was he 
anxious or was he very calm? Like what kind of a presence was he? You know, I don't know going inside his head if he was anxious or not, but outside he wasn't. Outside he was totally, it was almost like he'd done this before. And I know he hasn't. And he was watching the little contraction machine, whatever, I don't know what that thing is called. And he was saying, okay, you're almost through it. Okay, it's going down, it's going down. And he told me later that he was lying half the time, that the contraction was still going up. But he told me it was going down. So I would mind over matter, you know. I just remember when I was pushing, just holding on to his arm and just the strength of holding on to him just helped so much. This is another thing that I underestimated. I was very naive. (laughs) But I always thought, you know, the hard part was the contractions. That's the hard part. And then when it's time to push, you, you push four or five times and the baby comes out. And for some people, that's how it happens, but not for me. <laughs> and because he's a little bit big and it was literally the hardest, the hardest physical thing I've ever done. And I'm no athlete, you know, I'm not a marathon runner or anything, but it was, I don't know, I just, just so hard. It's like every, giving every ounce of effort that you have, you know, when you're running, and I don't have much experience with this, or you're lifting weights or something, and you feel like, I can't do it anymore, like, this is it, I gotta stop, and you push yourself to go beyond that. That was what it was, but it was like you're going way beyond what you thought you could do. Claudio described it as, and he's someone who does... (laughs) (laughs) making a snoring sound. (laughs) My my baby was just making a snoring sound, although he's not even sleeping. Um, He said it was like... I don't know, you were there when he said that. What did he say? He said it was like dead lift, dead pressing, I don't know what you call it, dead lifting? Dead lifting, I guess. Dead lifting like three times your own weight while you have wounds all over your body and while you're bleeding and, you know, exhausted and you haven't slept in two days. And yeah, I can, I can say it's something like that. Yeah. Wow, that sounds awful. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, awful it is awful but it's but it's also invigorating and and i'm not saying i want to do it again but i'm glad that i've done it but the funny thing is you have no choice at that point there's no turning back while you're pushing there's literally no turning back and you know you're like if i have to do this nobody is going to do this for me if i don't do this i'm going to be here all day (laughs) so yeah fear is not going to help you at this point or delay no you just do it you just do it has it changed how you see yourself as a woman? I never thought about that. Maybe. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I think giving birth changes every woman. And you do kind of feel like you are a vessel of life. Bringing someone into the world, especially with your own blood and sweat, literally is, is pretty amazing. It reminds me of a, a friend of mine that I used to work with. It was a guy. It was his first baby and he was in his 40s. And I asked him afterwards, I said, so how was the birth? And he said, the best response I think I've ever heard, which was, if it was any more animalistic, it would have happened under a bush. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Does it feel like now that you've become a mom, is there like a big divide between the mother and the the non-mother? Like, you can never understand (laughs) where I am at this point because there is a a difference obviously between our two life experiences but what do you think about that no (laughs) i don't really buy into that definitely there's something that i've experienced that you haven't but there are a million things that you might have experienced that i haven't and vice versa it is a big deal having a kid but i don't like 
I've always disliked when mothers separate themselves from other people in that way and think, well, I, you know, I'm a mother, so you wouldn't understand me. And there's always things you're not going to understand about people because you haven't lived their life. Mm -hmm. And being a mother is just one of them. What do you not understand about me? (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand how you could move back to America after living in Rome. Oh, very nice. Well, maybe we should leave it there. What do you think? (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. This is The Bittersweet Life together again in Rome for at least a couple more weeks. So, and I don't even know, countless episodes. So we'll talk to you next week. Bye. If you're interested in sponsoring the program and reaching thousands of people all over the world, send us an email at bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com to get the conversation going. Thank you for all the ways you support us. And we'll talk to you next week.